Jennifer Camp Forbes writes, it's a terrible thing, I think, in life to wait until you're ready. I have this feeling now that actually no one is ever ready to do anything. There is almost no such thing as ready. There is only now, and you may as well do it now. Generally speaking, now is as good a time as any. Hello. Never were truer words said, I think. My name is Claire Tonti and this podcast is called Just Make the Thing for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it. Today, I am joined by two humans, Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews, who most definitely have lived up to that mantra, I think. They are the hosts of Shameless, which is a podcast for smart women who are into dumb stuff. I actually don't think it's entirely dumb, but I definitely do think that it's a lot of pop culture and celebrity gossip, which is fascinating and funny and frank. They also have a great message to share about women in the media, I think, and influencers and the role that they have in providing ethical and sound advice for their followers. I also think they talk about what it's like to be women in the media now and how there needs to be more content for smart women that is also funny and that isn't necessarily fluffy or is fluffy but what is even fluffy these two have great advice for people who are DIYing it out there they're both journalists and were writers at Mamma Mia and have taken those skills without any experience in podcasting sought great advice for some really wonderful mentors and then have done it themselves which I really, really admire. I think it takes guts and determination. So these two have a lot to say about that. And Michelle also shares some really in-depth insights into her struggle with anxiety and how to manage that condition, which I think is a really great listen. And uh, she has a really important message for everybody out there. So off we go. Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald from Shameless. Zara for coming in. Thank you for having us. You're welcome all the way after work. You must be exhausted. We're handling it. Well, We're I'm freelance, it. so for me, it's not a big deal. Whereas for you, you work your nine to five jobs. So. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But that's all right. You also like underselling yourself all what? the time. Uh, <laughs> this is why we won't be very good in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, to get Mish to just tell you all can, about how can say the life story for me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that sounds awesome. So I wanted to start because you do a fabulous podcast called Shameless. Mm, we do. And, and you are DIYing all of it, which oh, yes. is so fabulous. Because that's what this show is all about, how to start a thing and keep on making it. So I wanted to ask you first up, and so I'll ask Mish, and then you can talk about Zara and then vice versa. That's going to be so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tell me about why Zara um, got into journalism. Why do you think she did? Oh, why did... Okay, we have an interesting relationship. I think Zara and I are a bit more like sisters than... Mm. We're friends as well, but we're brutally honest with each other. Zara's very intelligent. Mm. She won't admit that, but she is. Like, weirdly intelligent. Um, And I think she got into journalism because she likes creating smart content for women. And I'm not sure what it is about Australia, but I feel like we probably don't have a whole lot of outlets for women that are very intelligent. And I feel like a lot of the content that is aimed at women tries to tell us that we're stupid or that we can't understand things or it immediately comes to us from a point of 
talking down to us, I guess, mm-hmm. or softening everything to a point where, oh, you're a woman, so if we're going to talk about The Bachelor, it needs to be a dumb post about The Bachelor and it needs to be clickbait and it needs to be sugary and it needs to just really undersell what women want and what women need. And I think Zara probably came into journalism because you like writing smart content for women, not always about smart topics. Yeah, well, that's what Shameless is, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Dumb stuff, but from a smart perspective. Well, that's what we hope. Yeah, it absolutely is. Nail it. Absolutely. Okay, so Zara, why I, Mish a journalist? I don't think we came at it from, me and Mish came at it from particularly different perspectives, but you had a more roundabout way of getting into journalism. Mish did an arts degree first, and I think that's because she's naturally far more creative than the average journalist, and then did her arts degree and realised she loved writing and tried to find somewhere for that to fit. And I think that was at where we used to work, which is at Mamma Mia, where you could write for women, but it wasn't such a a strict news job that you had to do. You could write the news, but you could also write what you wanted to write, which was far more creative things. Yeah. Would I be right? No, you would be, because you did a journalism degree at yes. RMIT. So she's far more clinical about everything, whereas I came from a blogging background. I used to have a blog called The Twenties Diary which was how I then got my job at Mamma Mia eventually. And I think I've just always liked talking to women, whereas Zara likes sharing information with women. It's probably yeah, that distinction where I, I just like so. connect. I like connection more than anything and you really like informing women. I yeah. feel like that's the main. And I think Mamma Mia at that time and still is sort of bridges that gap between blogging and news quite well, which made the fit for both of us because I liked the news side and you probably liked the blogging side a little bit more too. Mm. So it's sort of like heart and brains Kind oh. of come together. <laughs> I, think, I think that's pretty good. I think I always come to things with an emotional point and you come mm. with the intellectual point. Not, many, the not many people would agree with that because I often come to things with the emotional point too. So it's just that we're both so emotional that one has to balance the other. Yeah, but that's women, right? Yeah. I think that's one of my strengths. I think we're often taught as women that to be emotional means that you're weak somehow. And I actually think embrace it. Like that's oh, awesome. That's I think there's sort us... of like a timeline that you can be emotional for. Like we often, when we're making decisions about our work, we'll give ourselves about a day to be emotional and then I'll be like, all right, let's round this up and actually start thinking at it properly. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. I think that seems like a grand idea. So, Mamma Mia. So, you both studied. So, you did an arts degree and you did journalism. I did. And so, you wrote your blog. Mm-hmm. How do you end up at Mamma Mia? How does that happen? Well, we both did internships. Yeah. I think mm. the industry for us, or particularly when I was at uni, we were told it was a very hard industry to get into. And I was always told from the start of uni that if you want to be a writer, you shouldn't be in a journalism degree which I always really struggled with Mm -hmm. and so I because I wanted to write and so I used to read Mamma Mia a lot I applied to do an internship which you did too because we liked the content and then we got in straight away at interns we were about two months apart from each other right yeah, absolutely. We were really close together. You did two internships. Yeah, I did. One in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Yeah. Mm. I was desperate to work there. I loved <sighs> Mamma Mia. I read all of their stories. I listened to all their podcasts. They were the introduction to podcasts for me. And I was obsessed with it. I just really, really wanted to work there. So when they found my blog, it was kind of a process of them actually getting a intern spot because they didn't really offer internships in Melbourne. And it's always been a big struggle for me, at least it was back then, that I didn't want to move to Sydney. I've really loved Melbourne since mm. forever. And Mamma Mia is based in Sydney. They are. Oh, yeah. So Melbourne's their satellite office. So we were very lucky, actually, in hindsight, to get positions there. And there was pressure to move to Sydney at different points, of course, like any media company would want you to move up there. But... Yeah, I think it's really... I think really... at the time as well, there hasn't really been 
a, a site for women. There is now, but when we were getting into it, it was kind of the only site for women that mm. had women-focused content, and I think that's why we really liked it so much mm. too. And made by women too, yeah. which is that point of difference. Yeah, yeah. and the amount yeah. we learned there was huge. Which is not unique anymore. I think everybody has just quickly realised that <laughs> women want to read <laughs> and that there's a market for it. But at the time, which was only three years ago, it was kind of the only thing out there. Yeah, mm. how much has changed in the industry yeah. since then mm. is crazy. I think a lot so of different fast. companies try to emulate what Mamamea does, but I think there is kind of a special magic in the makeup of that company that's difficult to replicate. Yeah. Mm. I want to take you back a little bit now. So why, I'll ask you first, Mish, why did you want to be a writer? Like where did that come from? I didn't. I, I was one of those people who had no idea what I wanted to do. I went through university. I did my first two years. Originally, I wanted to be a psychologist and then I was considering uh, going into criminology and a whole lot of things. I was at the University of Melbourne and I took a gap year and it was kind of when I was traveling through Europe and I guess finding myself in that really wanky way that I realized I'd always had blogs. I'd always, even in high school, I had Tumblr pages and Uh, Even in secret away from friends or family, I had different blogs based on what I was interested in at the time. So when I was a teenager, I had an eating blog and a food (laughs) blog, which is ridiculous now because it's just so (laughs) stupid. And I realized, I think when I was traveling, I'm like, you know what? I love writing and I'm not sure if you can make much money from writing, but it's what I've always gravitated towards. So when I get back, I'll try and pursue that and I'll try and get an internship. And then the first one I got was Mamma Mia Mm. when I got back. And I think ever since then... I've never doubted it. I think it took me a while to find it, but I really love the media and I love all aspects of it, video, audio, written. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's how I decided. But I would have only figured it out when I was 20, 21. Wow, so you did lots of other things. Well, it sounded like, though, even though you figured out, right, that's the career I want, you were constantly creating from a young age. Would you agree with that? Blogging was my life. And I was embarrassed by it and embarrassed about it for ages. I wouldn't tell anyone or I'd go through periods of wanting my friends to know that I was doing this blog and then finding it really humiliating that I had this thing or even a bit of a ego struggle that I would think that my ideas and my words are worth other people mm-hmm. indulging in or other people knowing. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't fight it. I just loved connecting with people with writing and it always came to me as quite cathartic when I was going through things in my 20s like every 20 year old does that if I could put that down that would somehow be a release for me it would be out into the universe and it was kind of like therapy for me which Mm. it doesn't compare to therapy I do get I see psychologists (laughs) it doesn't prepare to compare to that at all but I love blogging I've always loved blogging Mm. because it's it's kind of a way of putting your thoughts on paper right that you can see that and then analyzing it from like a distance almost yeah then it's absolutely. out there rather than just in your head yeah so you have that kind of we sometimes talk about it as a creative itch mm-hmm. that if you weren't creating something you'd, you'd feel like your head would explode because mm-hmm. you've got to get it out you're nodding along Sarah have you always felt like that when you were younger I always wanted to write and I was always writing I didn't know what form that would take there was a, a couple of paths I did I thought I was going to take my older brother and my sister are both lawyers and I think when you're a younger sibling and both people have done the same thing you just sort of assume that maybe maybe that's what you should do Mm. but I did a journalism degree maybe to try and buck the trend and I was pretty lost halfway through that degree I didn't 
see myself fitting the stereotype of a journalist very well. I didn't think of myself as hard enough to be a journalist. I think you have to have a lot of grit and I didn't think that I had that. But I knew that somewhere along the line that was kind of the only career that my skill set sort of fell into. So it was kind of great that Mamma Mia came along and I kind of found my way. But even still, it was it's a pretty hard industry to try and find your way in when you don't feel like you have those sort of stereotypical skills that you need. And it's taken me a while to sort of find my way and find a way that I can write and do content in a way that that I do love and find that maybe there's a market for. Mm. What do you mean by stereotypical skills? Well, I think that a lot of journalists, there's there's definitely a sense that in order well this was the sense that I got and this could be totally wrong but in a, a good journalist is you know a hard news journalist who wants to report the facts who wants to go door knocking for their story who is willing to do death knocks for families who have just lost their children and it sounds quite a terrible thing to do but at the end of the day they're doing a public service mm. but I just never felt like I had that I was kind of a bit soft um, and I was never very proud of that either, that I was more interested in the lifestyle stuff or the female content and always a little embarrassed that I was interested in the fluffier things f- forever and nobody else really seemed to be open about that. Mm. And that's probably because female things are seen as frivolous mm. so often that a man can sit down and watch football and it's totally oh, yeah. fine. I-, I love my football heaps, as you know. I'm obsessed with football, but I also love beauty and I love lifestyle content and I love watching The Bachelor but it's seen doing those things is seen as silly or girly and therefore immature. My perspective on it has changed tenfold since then because I think you compare talking about pop culture or celebrity to talking about sport and I find talking about fluffier things can be a vehicle to talk about much more important things, mm-hmm. which we really do love doing. And I don't think you can have those same conversations when men are talking about sport, but it has taken <laughs> – controversial. No, um, totally agree. But I'm it's taken me along. a long time to sort of get to that point where I feel really justified in, in producing the content that we are. Mm. I think that's because of the entire structure of the media, right, and Mm. predominantly still run by blokes. Mm. And so their view on things is that sport can take up, you know, a good chunk of every news report ever, but pop and pop culture and celebrity lifestyle stuff and, you know, beauty and all that thing is, is, for want of a better word, fluffy, when in actuality it's all just newsworthy. Totally. And there's know? so, I mean, there's a lot of money in sport, but there's so much money in beauty. Uh, I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's not as much money in celebrity and pop culture, but when you're talking about the beauty industry and how women are invested in it and interested in it, there's so much money in that too. Mm. So it does boggle the mind a little bit. It does. Someone told me a statistic the other day that if women stopped buying beauty products, the entire comedy would fall out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fact. How could you be of service? Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. If I have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If I have to go to Sephora or something, yeah. exactly, I will. And, yeah, I think the more that and, – and that's probably, would you agree, a service that Mamma Mia has done to, in Australian culture anyway, given us more of a licence to say actually this is what we enjoy and it's just as relevant and even more lucrative or just as lucrative as watching a football match. Well, I think my favourite tagline of theirs, I'm not sure if it's still the Mamma tagline, was what women are talking about because I think that's exactly it. Mm. And women should be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And I think women are so multifaceted that you can have a discussion about postnatal depression in one breath and in the next you're talking about uh, your favourite lipstick or a cult buy that you really enjoy and the next breath you're talking about what's going on in politics and then the next you're talking about what Kim Kardashian's posted on Instagram that day. I think 
we have such a broad range of interests and I know that applies for me that I might read a really highbrow piece of content from the New York Times and then in the next click I might click onto the Daily Mail's sidebar of shame (laughs) and look at those disgraceful photos which I wish I was better than to look at them but I think that's what Mamma Mia has given. I agree. I still think I would love to say that we still live in a world where there's no stigma about being interested in that content, but I still think it's still seen as a silly thing that women are interested in. I think we've come a little bit of a way and we can kind of uh, can prove that we can have smart conversations in, grounded in silly stuff, mm. but I still think there's a, a tiny bit of stigma about it. Yeah, of course there is. I think any women's website really battles against that. Yeah. Mm. Even the fact that it's women's web- website? Yeah, of course. Like, it's not men's website. No. You know? oh, no, not at all. I can't think of a single men's website apart from maybe GQ, but that's not even... But it's still seen as quite legitimate. I mean, yeah. I guess because it's fashion, but... Yeah, but it's that you very rarely hear something labelled as a men's thing yeah. as much as almost everything has a precursor. I was speaking with a director the other day who's a woman and she just often gets called female director. But even though, I mean, everyone else just gets to be a director, you know, and I think there's so, we have got a long way to go. It's like girl boss. Yeah, right. I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I'm not a fan of that at all. But, you know, people can just be like kick-ass and bosses. Yes. (laughs) Especially the tagline girl as well. Yeah. They're not 12. No, right? Exactly. I know. Well, it's like mumpreneur. I thought of that one too, but I I don't even want to to give that one airtime. I haven't heard that one. Haven't you? No. Mumpreneur, yeah. Oh, there you go. Mums that can work too. Astounding. Astounding, right? Such multitaskers, those women. Yeah, right? (laughs) Mummy bloggers and all. Of that that kind of shtick, but I guess that's because men have dominated the conversation, so they can call us whatever they want. Yes, exactly. Whereas now we're talking into microphones, so we can call ourselves whatever we like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's why we really love the media in 2018 is that you don't need a man to put a microphone in front of your face. You can no. just go get your own microphone and do it yourself and put it out there. Exactly. Nobody can stop you. No. Sometimes they I'm should. I'm sure, <laughs> judging, judging by some of the feedback we get, I'm sure some men would like to stop yeah. us. Without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's, so that brings me actually to Shameless. So you were working at Mamma Mia. Yeah. And what were your roles at Mamma Mia at the time? I was an editor. So mm-hmm. I started as weekend editor. Or I was at one stage promoted to weekend editor and then I was night editor. And I was working as a writer there. Okay, fantastic. And so how did Shameless come about? We basically came up with the idea for the show probably 12 months ago now. I would say it would be about 12 months ago. And we did pitch it to them. They, for a million reasons, I'm sure, didn't pursue it at that point. I think they've got a network that has huge uh, demand, obviously, and they had a million shows in the pipeline that they wanted to prioritise. So we totally understood that, but we also wanted to do Shameless and decide to pursue it. Yeah, and we didn't really have a blueprint for that. And I don't know if anybody really thought we were actually going to do it when we said, that's fine, we're just going to do it ourselves then. Because we were working full-time jobs and our hours were a bit crazy at that time. And we had no idea about podcasts. We we... didn't know what equipment we needed, how to produce a podcast. What programs. I remember at the start we sat down (laughs) and we wrote a list of everything we needed to do and I just stared at that list and I thought half of this is French. I don't know what we're doing. But... We did it. And I remember Michelle saying, all right, because Michelle is far more ambitious about these things than I am. I'm far more overly cautious to a fault. And she said, all right, so we'll have it up in four weeks. 
And I just thought, we don't even know what the name of the equipment is. How are we going to get at this in four weeks? And I think we had it up in about five. Yeah, we did. We just missed my target. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the most fantastic part about it all, the whole process, was how helpful other women were to us in actually getting it up. We have some great contacts, thanks to Mamma Mia, actually. Um, Monique Bowley from the ABC was pivotal in getting Shameless to air. She helped us so much with production and equipment and all of the one million questions, as you would know when Mm -hmm. you have a podcast. (laughs) There are millions and it's very confusing. Um, I know it sounds like you just get into a front of a microphone and then (laughs) it just goes to the internet, but there are about 700 steps before and after. Someone actually asked me the other day at dinner, they're like, I don't mean to be rude, but when you talk all the time about how hard the podcast is, what part of it? And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) It's one hour a week, right? Oh, I wish. (laughs) So yeah, so we, uh, we just looked at each other and we were continually saying okay we want to do this podcast we knew the name I think we came up with shameless in the first couple of days after we had the idea and I think that was the best thing about having each other because we always push each other that's a big part of our relationship and I think and we're very used to deadlines so we gave us I mean we're journalists so we're working to tight deadlines all the time so we'd say all right we need cover art down in four days and neither of us have you photoshopped before but we just made it happen (sighs) that was basically it though just sort of muddling through the dirt and, and working out a way. And there have been so many speed bumps. There have been times that we sat down and not actually recorded an episode. Yes. And there have been times where we have just royally screwed up things. We've m- made so many mistakes along the way. I can't even count them. But what it's been over 30 weeks now. Hi, we might be finding our way. Finally. Yeah, well, well <laughs> it's just crazy yeah. to think of how many people. I mean, we would never have thought. I think we reach more than 10,000 women a week now with every episode and we would never have thought that we would do that because it feels you sort of like a needle in a haystack when you're launching a podcast in this sort of climate is that podcasting is so in vogue and I don't know it can sound a bit silly like a silly hobby when we first launched it but we had a lot of faith in it and maybe some people still see it as a bit of a silly hobby but it's far more serious than that to us but when you're launching it and you don't have the backing of anyone and it's just the two of you and we don't have very big social media followings we're sort of just throwing this out from nowhere it was a huge learning curve in not just producing but social media management and how to actually find people to listen to your work, which was a hard task and still is a hard task trying to get it out there. Yeah, well, we do take it really seriously. I wish I I could sit back and say we just wing it and it just happens organically. It doesn't. I think women often want to pretend that the things that they work on just happened overnight. They just blinked and they're really lucky. I think it's the opposite of luck, this podcast. I think from the day dot, it has been a struggle but it's been something that has taught us so much we were telling you before we got on that we um didn't know that our microphones were what's the word the microphone stand (laughs) adjustable we didn't realize they're adjustable and a long day (laughs) for at least a couple of months we were stacking books underneath our microphone stands and trying to figure out how to get them up to the right height. And then one day we both realised that they had a little screw. I would like you to know that it was me that, <laughs> yeah, that would, Oh, trust me, it, wouldn't, it would not have been me. <laughs> We'd still be recording on books. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. But that's, that's the thing, though. You don't learn by sitting back and waiting for someone to show you. You learn by doing and making mistakes, mm, right? Absolutely. That's the, the joy of it. I think half, um, almost every good lesson we've learned is from somebody, A, saying no or it just people not replying or things not happening Mm. which has been a hard way to learn but I guess you're told time and time again that it's kind of the only way Mm. 
And it kind of is really. Yeah. You just got to do it and then figure it out along the way. Exactly. Which is tricky but awesome at the same time. So, how did you grow your audience? Can I ask you that? Are you going to be like, oh my God, of course you can. Sourced? What uh, was your strategy? What was your strategy with your show? Where does that even strategy? start? The first few weeks we sort of, I remember we said from the start we'll, we'll coast through for the first couple of weeks and just get content out because when you're learning on the fly and you're producing on the fly and we were doing it every week, there wasn't a lot of time to think. But about three or four weeks in, I think we realised that to reach some sort of audience we needed someone well-known on the podcast. Oh, um, uh, yeah, I've just remembered how we did this yeah. now, now that you're talking And about we it. reached out to former Bachelorette Georgia Love and I... And still to this day, and I think it's one of those things that you'll just remember for a very long time, that she gave us, what, 20 minutes of her time, but we were so tiny, this podcast, and she didn't really know us from a bar of soap, and I think she just wanted to help to basically kids out who wanted to work in the media. And I think you really appreciate those things because it was nothing to her. But it was a 20-minute interview and she shared it, and I think from there that's where we started to try and find different ways. Yeah, and to be completely honest, I think a lot of the people who did interviews with us, which we don't really do interviews anymore, we moved away from that, I think we saw that as a growth phase and once we kind of got word out there, that was what we're now building on, just doing us two each episode. But I think most of the people we interviewed were people that we had actually spoken to in our role at Mamma Mia, which was really handy, I guess, that like... I had interviewed uh, Georgia Love and we had a relation, a friendship on some small level. She followed me on Instagram. I followed her back. So on that level, I could in- email her and ask for the mm. interview and it was done that way. So if we hadn't have been in the media, it would have been interesting to I see. I still feel like someone like Georgia Love, though, in giving us her time. As a would, fellow journo, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like I said, it's the kind of thing you appreciate for, for a really long time. Um, and anyone that gives you their time when you are that small because it's it, – you're not giving them much. I mean, as much as you can try to sell them that, hey, we're this podcast and we reach this demographic, I think they know that. They can see through it yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. And you just appreciate <laughs> the fact that essentially they're chopping out. And um, yeah, that's Michelle's right. That's exactly how we started. And then it took us a while. It's quite funny when we started doing the podcast and thought about social media, we knew we needed to start a Facebook group, not a Facebook page. Having worked in the industry, Facebook pages were very dead and Facebook groups were what was next. And it is pretty confronting starting a Facebook group for your podcast when it's your 10 closest family members and a couple of friends (laughs) thrown in and you're posting about celebrity. And that is a confronting thing, but I'm so glad we did that. And that was more Michelle pushing that. I don't think I would have done that. Because I, I, I have an aversion to the awkward. I so. think because I'm literally more shameless than you <laughs> I think I just don't, after having blogs and stuff and knowing how embarrassing it can be to put something out there that's a baby, I didn't have that shame yeah. with it, whereas perhaps it was new for you. So you oh, felt yeah. like maybe it was more confronting to Easily put that out to your friends. Between that and then the other thing we decided to do was create a Twitter account. And we started posting on Twitter and we're, neither of us are very big on Twitter. Like we never post on Twitter. And maybe two months in, we wondered why we had a Twitter account when A, all of our listeners were on Instagram and we spend all our time on Instagram. So I we, hate Twitter. We had we I'm followers terrible in a couple at it. Months. I was doing the odd tweet every so, like we were live tweeting The Bachelor. I think that's what we were trying to do. <laughs> and so very quickly we disabled that Twitter account because there's only so much time and energy we have across social media and we wanted to concentrate that time and that energy and we threw it into Instagram and I think that was really big for us because it's so much easier for people to find you on Instagram. Mm. And Instagram mirrors our personalities way more than Twitter does. I don't like Twitter personally. Mm. I feel like it's quite a nasty vitriolic space. 
You like it for politics, Zara. You're looking oh, at me. I, no, no, no. I know it is. It can be quite nasty. I just like it to keep informed, but I don't engage with much. I very rarely tweet. We realised that the tone of the podcast fit Instagram way more and the amount of engagement. To be honest, if any podcasters are listening, I would ask my number one piece of advice that we've learnt and benefited from is ask your followers and your listeners to share listening on their Instagram story. I cannot believe how much any listener, like all of our listeners are kind of like micro-influencers in this way, just taking a screenshot of listening to Shameless, putting that on an Instagram story Mm -hmm. and saying, I love this podcast or I really enjoyed this episode or whatever they want, that flow-on effect to finding other like-minded women has been so huge. I'm so happy we said that in one episode. We were just like, oh, put it on your Instagram story (laughs) if you want. It wasn't even strategic. Prove that you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. Prove that we have someone other than our mum listening to this. And the difference between that and I guess, I mean, it's been great, the interviews that we've had with people that actually do have very sizable followings. But I think as an Instagram consumer, you're so much more likely to listen to something that someone you know recommends Mm. rather than someone you don't know. I mean, you might skip past it very quickly. And so that has been really good too. But it just was very interesting that we went to Twitter and not Instagram. Oh, Instagram's huge. I would say anyone with a podcast aimed towards women our age or in their 20s and 30s, being on Instagram would be my... Yeah, and we were, we were concerned, I know, before we had an Instagram account because we were working full-time and I still am working full-time and Mish is freelancing full-time. So it's sort of a bit of a juggle about how we would have the time to create some sort of content plan for Instagram or have the time to commit to it. But that was the other thing. We just we almost delayed launching an Instagram for like three or four weeks until we thought of a content plan and then we just did it one day mm. and tried to wing it and we've been winging the Instagram too ever since. That's (laughs) the theme. What's the content plan? Is that... No, but that's because we're quite meticulous about things, but we wanted to make sure we had a a similar way of going about it. What would we post? How would we post? Would they be longer feed posts? Would they be Instagram stories all the time? Would there be a certain amount per week? And then we just forgot about that and just did it. <laughs> we are we are quite deliberate with what we do. Yes. I think we we always want to strike a balance. So I think our Instagram, we always want to strike a balance between being feminist and funny. Mm. And those are two core things. And, I mean, we even had a conversation on... Very rarely funny. <laughs> we even no, you're very funny. Yeah, but light-hearted. <laughs> Maybe feminist and light-hearted. We even had a conversation oh, on the way uh, over it. here about whether or not we're going off tea with our Instagram. So we do talk know, about that type of tone. stuff all the time. I know. I think yeah. it's just – and maybe it's a journalism thing is that we are very deliberate in everything you do. Nothing is nothing is an accident. In- yeah, but I also want to be real about it. I don't want people to think that these things happen just by waking up one day and being uh, creating a podcast and getting people to listen. It's f- fucking hard work. There's so much that goes into it. And we don't wing it. We don't wing it. We actually just work hard at it. Well, there's I mean. a, Yeah, but when I say winging it, I mean like it's sort of a bit – we didn't have a plan. We just do it, but we do it <laughs> deliberately, which just seems like all a big contradiction. I would no. think our main rules are post every day. Yeah. That would yeah. be about it. Would you say that maybe to get all Oprah, because I love Oprah, yeah. um, <laughs> a bit intentional? So you've yeah. got an intention. So if it's not like that you have decided you're going to post about one of the Kardashians today or once a week, but it's that it's intentional. Absolutely. So you've got like a framework. That's the perfect but then way. The actual imagery may vary. Of course. And there will be times when you, I think both of us are taken by surprise. Like I'll check my phone at work and be like, oh, what's going on here? What's she posted? <laughs> and I'm sure. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online 
you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. She does the same thing. So yeah, you're right. There is a huge intention there and a framework that you're working in, but it's also quite organic. Yeah, that's to a use perfect that way to explain it. Perfect way to explain it. Yeah, It's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I come from a background of like my husband does a podcast and we've kind of fallen into this thing with literally no intention yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at all. And, it, and I mean, over time it's grown and his YouTube grew as well, but we've absolutely learned by doing and maybe retrospectively and now putting in more intentional stuff and framework, but we definitely did it back to front. So it's really interesting to hear from people who've grown up through the media and have yeah. degrees in this kind of stuff so that understanding that a lot of the content or probably the majority that's out there is very carefully crafted and thought about yeah. because most of our stuff is not. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning a lot from you guys. But I, really I love that. It. I wish we were more like that. <laughs> yeah, I wish I we know. could say that. We I can't. could never. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to be truthful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's great. No, I think that's so great for people to hear as well. Exactly. You don't just want to say that it happens by accident and I'm just so blessed and lucky. You know, it's not that. Okay, so I know you mentioned that you're no longer working at Mamma Mia. Mm. What happened? Why are you not Mamma Mia anymore? Um, I think it got to a point. So when we started the podcast, we were still working there and it was an interesting dynamic for a while there because you're creating content for women and you're also working at a a website that is creating content for women. And I think at some point we decided we kind of needed to, to put all our eggs in this basket if we wanted to see how it went. So that's kind of what we did. We just decided that this was something that we thought was working. It wasn't going gangbusters by any stretch of, of the imagination, but I I remember saying to Mish very early on, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly unique about our listener and in that in the best possible way in that all of these women are quite similar and that has to be a very good thing because there has to be so many other women like them out there that wants this too. So I think we decided then and there that we're really young, we might as well just try this thing and um, I can do a job that is probably not heavily conflicted with what you're doing so I can put all my eggs in this basket too. Mm. Would you say that's quite... Yeah, I think that's spot on. That was your I think it just got to the point too. where it was too much of a conflict and they knew that and we knew that and I think it was quite a mature conversation that mm. it was just decided that we should probably part ways mm. at that point. So you, so really what you're saying is you did have to choose between work, staying working at Mamma Mia. I don't think it was ever put to us like that at all, but I did feel like I wanted to choose. I, wanted, I didn't want to be half-assed about anything. I didn't want to be giving half my content ideas to one place and half the other or doing half, like both of them not well. And that was that was a, a big part of it too, is being able to commit to the content. Um, so and owning it, yeah, exactly, and being able to do it freely. And I think having my own brand was a huge part of yeah, it for true. me. I think I had wanted to go freelance for a long time, and I had always felt too scared to do it. 
And I think Shameless came along and it was kind of like that pushing factor that meant mm. I just kind of leapt off the cliff. Mm. I've, it felt like I didn't know how to swim when I did it. Um, going freelance is terrifying for anyone who's done it before, but best decision we've ever made I would say on behalf of both of us no I would say definitely (laughs) it's really scary at that time because it puts a lot of pressure on what you've made and it was not very old it's still not a very old product it's such a clinical way of calling (laughs) it a product but it was really not old and it put a lot of pressure on it I know in the the week or two after we had both left because we left at a similar time that we felt that oh no this really has to work now Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the yeah. pressure was on, yeah. I feel like. Which was really good. It probably threw us for a week or two, but it was really good. It was mm. a really good thing. Okay. Yeah. There's. I think there's things you're not saying, but I don't want to push you on it. <laughs> there is not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I can see, though, that realistically, if you stayed at Mamma Mia, they would have had to own Shameless or, or in, it, in a different form. Totally. Would you agree? And, and, yeah, and I think anyone creative can... control? Well, we weren't sure how it was going to play. And I think anyone can see that when you're creating celebrity smart content, which is something that they could very easily do, but we were doing it at the same time, trying to do it out of work. It just, it was, it was probably a weird look as well for us, for us to be doing a podcast outside of mm. a workplace that already had a huge podcast network. It was probably not a great look for us, not, not a terrible look, but it just would have looked a bit strange. Yeah. Um, and so... For us, we knew that we wanted to commit to it. And it was ours in the end. It was our idea and it was our, um, you know, product. Concept. Yeah. No, but that's I a great note. I hate using the word. But also it like, was our concept all along and we thought, well, why not just invest in it? Because we are so young. And to be honest, if it fails, it's not the end of the world. We'll just find another job or find another podcast or do something else. And that's the yeah. thing. I think we had less confidence in ourselves than the people around us. Mm. Well, everyone around us, both of our boyfriends were really crucial in, I think, getting us to put everything into Oh, they shameless. were saying it for doing it much earlier than we Basically, were. Basically, the really? episode we launched it, they were saying, this is it, go for it. And lots of other women who, even people that we had interviewed on the podcast who are in the industry or uh, have companies that need followers. For example, Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw are two women we had on the podcast. And since they have been on that podcast, they have been such driving forces behind getting listeners to it. They share it all the time and they are very positive about it. And there's something that they, as two people who have their own company, Keep It Cleaner, they both saw something in it from the moment they first listened as well. So I think it was having people around us listening and going, this is something you should pursue, this is a good thing, that pushed us to go, actually, you know what, this is going to work. And we're we're starting to make money off it from this next episode now. And there's a sense of pragmatism behind it too because I think you still look at the podcast charts and you still look at content in Australia and there's still nothing celebrity focused for young women in Australia. I, don't, I, I mean, I can't think of anything that I'm interested in that focuses so heavily on celebrity and pop culture in the way that we do it. And you really do have to look at it from a pretty pragmatic way and say, well, if no one else is doing it, why don't we just try? At the moment, it's not like we're, we've got a million competitors. Mm, absolutely. It's, it's seeing a hole and, and finding, filling that hole. That sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> I get what you're saying. We are filling holes left, right and centre. Yeah, shameless. Shamelessly filling holes left, right and centre. This should be our new tagline for the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, nailed it. Exactly. Well, Glennon Doyle posted something very similar recently about leadership, that leadership is really seeing a gap, sitting back and thinking about it for a while and then going, or a product or something that you need that isn't there, and rather than waiting for someone else to jump in and do it, go, well, bloody well, going to do it myself. 
and getting there, which is just so exciting. And it's just so great to see women like you. I know it sounds really corny, but women (laughs) like you doing that. Because I reckon even 10 years ago, I don't know whether maybe women would have the balls to do it or or even maybe the platforms to do it in the same way. Well, we have social media and I think that's a huge part of it for all that people sort of denigrate social media for it being sort of like this shiny fake thing. We that's given us an avenue to reach a lot of people, which has probably helped us mm. at this age in this kind of time doing it. Do you mm. think? No, absolutely. I think I, I have. I'm just really happy that we did it. I think if we had known in hindsight how much work it would be, it almost intimidate us not to do it or not. To I don't try. think we would have done it. Uh, I don't we think we would have. Yeah. I, I don't think we would have knowing how much energy it takes and we do love it that's the other thing that we probably need to give airtime to is that we love making the podcast but if we had known how much more than that one hour that you sit down to actually record it would be we probably would have been intimidated and just thought it's too hard to do with full-time jobs we're not gonna try Mm. but it has been kind of the highlight of my year I guess it's been massive (laughs) I would say definitely is mine too for sure because it's quite rewarding and I know Claire you would probably feel exactly the same is that when you make something in it it's sort of sucking a lot of your energy and your time and your money too to see people listen to it and it kind of work to some degree is quite rewarding and you sort of start Mm. thinking about where it can go from here and that is really nice Mm. it's yours right yeah some there's no, no one can take it away from you however it goes that's your thing that you've put out there. If it dies, it's still out. I know. <laughs> we and can also, hold it in like 40 years, your children can go back through the internet and listen to the things you said about Kim Kardashian when you were 23. Oh, my God, I hope Isn't not. that amazing? I kind of love it, though. So, Mish, I'm really interested in something that you just said before about being a freelancer and how you were terrified. Mm-hmm. What do you think about fear in general in creativity? Uh, I think fear is probably or moments of challenge or discomfort are when you grow the most and when the most opportunities arise. I have anxiety so I actually have a weird relationship with fear in that I hate it. I despise fear. It really affects me but I also actively seek it out. So it's weird that in having anxiety and being quite an anxious person, Zara will know this of me, I put myself in situations that exacerbate my anxiety but it's often to my benefit And I think that's definitely the moments of discomfort across the years have also been my biggest moments of growth or not success, but doors opening up or windows opening up for me. So she's a masochist. I am. Yeah, I don't know why I do it. In a good way. (laughs) But I think freelancing or even working in the media where you're putting yourself on a platform for people to ravage or you're handing yourself over to them to absolutely tear to shreds and just denigrate and throw hate oh, at God. abuse <laughs> is what you're looking for yeah i think you need to put yourself in that position and kind of open yourself up to that level of fear and discomfort to what might happen sounds very dark and very serious but mm. yeah i think my biggest my biggest growths and my was that a word yeah, yeah, and the biggest opportunities, the biggest yeah, growth, have come the out of fear that yeah has happened for have you have come out of fear and come out of that Huge. overwhelming feeling like I can't swim, but I'm just going to have to learn how to swim or mm. find a flotation device or make it work. Mm. So, what is it that triggers your anxiety? Uh, death or the unexpected. I don't know what it is, but Zara's we've been friends for what three years now, mm-hmm. and you've probably seen the highs and lows of it 
the most. But at my worst, when I was going to Mamma Mia, traveling on the tram into work, my anxiety would be so bad that I would get to work and just burst into tears because the actual traveling on public transport was so filled with fear and anxiety for me. I would continually think that I would be in a terrorist attack or a man would attack me on the tram or attack someone I love or whatever. And I would get to Mamma Mia and I would burst into tears and have a panic attack or Zara's seen me have anxiety attacks over nothing in particular at the back of the office. And it can be triggered by anything, but mostly it's the unexpected or it's the feeling that myself or someone I love is in a dangerous situation. Mm. Wow. I'm much better with it now. (laughs) I don't cry on public transport anymore. I'm way better with it now. Don't worry. I'm a massive public crier. Don't worry. So am I. Yeah. It's cathartic. So what do you do? Because I know it's, I mean, it's not necessarily everyone suffers from anxiety, but it is a lot more prevalent now yeah 40 percent of women yeah it's huge uh i go to a psychologist and i do try and speak about this actually very frequently on the podcast Mm -hmm. because i think there is still some type of shame or level of stigma that is attached to mental health mental illness and so i do try and drop in as frequently as possible wherever it fits that i do regularly see a psychologist have my next psychologist appointment on monday simply because I just want it to be at a place where people see it like going to a doctor, going to a GP, going to a physio, anything like that. So that's been the biggest change for me and also exercise. I love exercising so much and I regularly go to the gym or I regularly go for runs or for walks and that has completely changed my Mm. mental health for sure. I'm a different person, I think, compared to this point last year or maybe 18 months ago Mm. completely different I still struggle with anxiety I still feel anxiety on some level every single day but it's not to the point where it's debilitating or it means that I can't leave my apartment which was the level it was at its very very worst Mm. I remember you described it and this was like the easiest way for me to understand it as somebody who doesn't have much exposure to mental mental health or mental illness is you said when at its worst it was like a tap that was like overflowing and you couldn't it was just gushing through and at the moment when you do go to your psychologist and you do exercise, it's just sort of like a trickle now. And I was like, well, that's a really good metaphor for me to understand because then you can just be like, it's gushing again. And I can be like, okay, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, because there was one day where I was in the office and I could not stop crying. And many people think of anxiety attacks, and I'm sure this is for some people, is hyperventilating or, yeah, I guess not being able to breathe and having that asphyxiation feeling. That's not it for me. I uncontrollably cry uncontrollably so I was sobbing in the office for probably two and a half three hours I think that was the only thing that Zara had seen of it at that point and she just kind of had to keep bringing me tissues as I sat (laughs) there and cups of tea and cups of tea I think you made me about four cups of tea and one little anxiety attack there probably very unhelpful (laughs) no that was the best tea is very helpful that's what you need that's exactly what you need if you're having an anxiety attack just lots of cups of tea like a warm hug yeah, I'm not that, not that, because we don't hug. I'm we don't a touch hugger each anyway, other. So I'm not going to give you a real one, but I'll give you a warm one. This cup of tea. Was there a point that you realised or found a label for what it is that you were feeling that changed? Mm. My family found the label for me. I think I have different family members who have been through different mental health problems, and it was actually one of the days that I got into work and. I had been really upset after getting there and I had felt that same way on the tram and I was sweating and I ran through Melbourne Central train station because I was convinced that any gathering of people was immediately dangerous. So I literally ran from the tram stop 
to work. And I cried once I got into work. And then I remember texting my mum and she called me probably around that evening at about five o'clock and said, I have got you a psychologist. Go to your doctor. Your appointment with this psychologist is on this day. You need a mental health plan. And the appointment's booked in. You're going to go to her. So I think that was really great. My mum had a friend who had also been to my psychologist and they pushed me. I think they saw, uh, it would be hard not to see how bad it had gotten and how much it had affected my life up until that point for quite a long time to the point where I wouldn't go out on a Saturday if my friends were meeting for drinks that it would be too scary to leave the apartment to go to drinks because, well, I could die in the car on the way or I, someone could be beaten up while we were there. It's safer for me to stay at home on the couch where nothing will happen at all. That was the, the thought pattern that would go through my head. Yeah, and, and you've been able to work through that by going to a psychologist and yeah. by exercising, you yeah. can change that frame. Do you still feel like that if you go? No, never, really? no, never, ever, yeah. ever. Uh, I think mindfulness and exercise and seeing someone who is unbiased and doesn't know you and doesn't know your situation and doesn't know the people in it, it's just great to get all your thoughts out to that one person. I'm mm. such a huge advocate of psychological counselling. I think it's massively a problem because it's really expensive for a lot mm. of people. I wish it was more inexpensive or more accessible, but I'm such a massive fan of seeing psychologists when you have mental illness problems. Mm, So it's kind of heartbreaking in a way when you, and and also really inspiring that you're talking about it because I think that so many people suffer and don't have family members around them Mm. or people to call and say, I've booked you an appointment, go to this thing. And so the more that we can talk about it on, on a podcast or in other formats can help people to say, oh, me too, you know, that we're not alone in, in feeling in all kinds of different ways with our mental health. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated that in one way you've got this anxiety and, and there's fear and things, but then the other way you probably are doing some of the scariest things to other people that would look at you and go, geez, that girl is so ballsy, right? Would you agree with that, Zara? I, I would agree with that, which is yeah. why I said she's a bit of a ma- masochist sometimes because yeah. uh, she would often do things or say that she was going to do things <laughs> and then say how anxious she felt about doing them. And often I would say, well, you don't have to do them. <laughs> You have a choice. But often I think you frame it in such a... I think Michelle frames things in such a way that she sort of has this idea and then she doesn't give herself a choice. Like, there is no option. I'm doing it. And that is often a really great thing because it's like she said time and time again, it's led to some of the best things ever. But sometimes I just need to remind her that you can say no to yourself. (laughs) That's the person you can say no to. Wise words. Yeah, she is wise. She's definitely the wiser of the two of us. No, I'm not. I'm just as unhinged as you are. You do. You do talk me down from the ledge often. I'll often send you one text message or one thing on Messenger on Facebook and be like, "Am I weird for thinking?" And you're like, "Yes, you're weird. Shut up. (laughs) This is not a thing." Probably. (laughs) So blunt. I love it. I wanted to ask you now. What have been some of the favourite stories that you've covered so far over the past thirty episodes? same yeah we definitely will so we are both very interested in influencers 
And we are also very interested in how hard it is to hold influencers to account when they say outrageous things. And there was an influencer a couple of months ago by the name of, of Sarah's Day, which is her social media handle, who was diagnosed with cervical dysplasia, which is pre-cancerous cells before cervical cancer, which was awful, of course. And she did a huge blog and vlog about how she cured that cervical dysplasia with food. And when we spoke and to... Prayer and prayer and suppositories and, and affirmations. And we spoke to the Cancer Council, doctors, everybody who said the same thing, which was in 30% of cases, cervical dysplasia will regress spontaneously with no effort. And this was a woman who had nearly 500,000 Instagram followers. And so nobody was talking about how irresponsible it was. We were terrified that so many young girls would be watching this and thinking that food could heal all medical problems. So we did a big segment on it and the feedback we got was, I mean, she has quite a loyal following, so it wasn't all good. (laughs) But the feedback was quite overwhelming from women who have had cervical dysplasia, who had to have the surgery, who felt a little bit ashamed given that vlog and blog um, for having chosen the surgery because I think she framed surgery in a way that was avoidable when for almost all women it's not. I'm just guessing this was your favourite. Oh, absolutely. I think... I mean, Sarah doesn't love us. No. Obviously, some of the emails that she's sent us have reflected that for sure. But we see it as our responsibility that no journalist that I know anyway is really looking at what influencers are doing. And the matter of fact is that influencers are talking to 13 to 18-year-old girls more than anyone else. And the message they put out is so important. It's yeah. so important. And almost are so often incredibly problematic because there is no sense of accountability. And I think when we wanted to start this celebrity and pop culture podcast, we talked time and time again how it seems so fluffy and so silly or like a silly hobby. But for us, it's super important that we can have a conversation about an influencer that is very accessible to most young women and have a much more important conversations with doctors behind us and experts behind us saying that surgery is important if you are diagnosed with these kinds of things, that food doesn't help everything, that overall health is important, but but science is science for a reason. And and if we can help share that message with an army of experts behind us to young women, then then I'm pretty happy that we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Under the guise of talking about fluff. Mm. Yeah, for 100%. sure. What's your opinion about um, the rise of plastic surgery too? Well, that's probably our other favourite segment, Claire. I oh, think there was, we, <laughs> we loved the... Uh, Four Corners uh, investigation a couple of months ago into the rise of plastic surgery in influences. And it was something that a lot of adults were very shocked by, but we weren't shocked by. I think every influencer, you look in your Facebook feed, if you look at their face to be blunt, when they started their career as an influencer and some four or five years later, it's, it's quite terrifying that it's so prevalent and so that's the other thing that we've spoken about is that it's very hard as women to have these conversations about plastic surgery and and hold a lot of young women to account without being backed into a corner and looking like you're not supporting women because that's the other thing that we want to do but that's really important for us is to walk that line and say that it's not healthy that everybody looks the same and it's not healthy that a lot of these young women are getting paid to put filler in their lips in their lips in their lips and writing a blog post about that it's it's not healthy at all i think the other side of it is is so many influencers try to circumvent blame by saying oh it's my body it's my choice or i'm and not telling you to do anything but not, here's my blog here's my blog and then here's the details of the cosmetic surgeon yeah. who does everything for me here's use my website. code <laughs> use my discount code and have i said it 
the best decision I've ever made in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, it's not your body. And it, well, it is your body. Oh, sorry. It's mine. It's definitely your body. Whose body is it? It's, it's Michelle's body. body. It's your body, but it's not just your body. Yeah. When you have an army of 1.4 million followers behind you and you know that those followers are teenage girls, you know, you know that your paychecks are based on your ability to influence people. That's your job So title. how can you possibly turn around and say, it's just my body, I'm doing nothing else? Because you know that you are paid to be an influencer and therefore every piece of content you're putting out is influencing someone. Mm. And the more we tell girls that they need to have these blowjob lips is just beyond mm. me. I think it's so... Yeah, the mind. It's, it's very crazy. terrifying for us. And I think that's why we do a lot of segments on influencers too, which sounds quite young, but something that we care a lot about because brands are paying these women and these men to advertise their product on the assumption that it can sell product. Mm. And if it can sell products and sell beauty items and you can sell lip filler to young girls then too. And cosmetic Um, nurses are giving this lip filler out for free to these influencers because they know they'll get customers from it. Yeah, it's 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 really scary. And like I said, it's it's hard conversation for us to have without, you know, walking that line because I think people can get their back up a lot when it's talking about women and plastic surgery because mm. there's that age-old argument that it's I'm a feminist and it's my choice mm. and it's my body, but mm. I still think it's important to talk about why every young woman on Instagram looking, is suddenly looking exactly the same. They all look the same. And you know what? I've come full circle with that. I actually, and I know this is going to sound terrible, I really firmly believe that the patriarchy have a huge hand to play in why women are filling their faces with junk oh totally yeah a lot of it comes back mm. to porn Mm, yeah, I think I a lot of it comes do. back to what is seen as sexy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as I said, blowjob lips, I think that's entirely well, yeah. where it stems from. Yeah, well, we exactly. talk about, I mean, you talk about making being a feminist and making a choice, but you're making a choice within context. Mm. And that context is telling you that the hotter and younger that you look, the more valuable you are to society. So yeah. I think it's, it's a hard argument and a hard card to play, I think. I do too. And I, I just think there is just something beautiful about women in their flaws in their the their faces in the way that they move in the way that they express themselves and it just really really concerns many that young women are freezing their faces so they can no longer make expressions mm. or have their i don't know their mum's nose or have that kind of face that represents who they are in their all yeah, their, their history and yeah. their history and and I just think some of the most beautiful women are those women who don't look frozen and perfect but instead have lived a life and have read and have used their brain and have cared for their bodies and nourished their bodies and exercise and moisturize and do all those things but we are so much more than what we look like and I often think particularly for young women, and I know I was a teacher, so I've worked with a lot of sort of 13, 12, 13-year-old girls, there is such a message still that who we are is all about what we look like. Mm. And that is 100% BS, Mm. 100%. Women have got so much more to offer than being baubles. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Absolutely. I think that's why we even spoke about Zoe Foster Blake recently on our podcast because it's great to have aspiration on Instagram that's to a personality, not to a body. Mm. So sometimes when you see women being really witty online or having a following because they are funny or clever. Or career. I think there's a lot of career aspiration on Instagram Mm. at the moment. And I think Instagram will be an aspirational culture, whichever way we look at it. So I'd rather people aspire to be... A good career woman or yeah aspire to be a 
award-winning author or yeah, aspire and, to be someone who's really funny and a famous podcaster <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just inspiring women every day yeah, what can i say that's who we are i know did you like my oprah rant i saw chanel my co-host often laughs at me because i get a like a different voice it. on and i go like i am a woman of the world that knows everything and then afterwards i'm like oh god i need more of that in my life i need to listen to oprah's podcast more clearly oh, do you not listen to so super soul great. conversations no. oh what type of podcast I know. are you? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Get out of my show. <laughs> yeah, I'll <No>. stay here. <laughs> now, we've been talking for ages and I feel like we could keep on talking, but I wanted to ask you one more question. So I'll ask you each of you, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out and, and in a career in, in the media, really? So if you could give yourself advice, say, fresh out of uni, what would you say? Um... I would say that probably on the theme of this podcast that you can make stuff happen and I don't think that there's a better time to be able to make things happen. I think in this kind of industry it can feel like there's no work or there's no opportunity but I think you can make it happen whether that be Michelle creating a blog or us just launching a podcast. You have social media around and people will tell you no all the time and it's very easy to fixate on those no's or those just non-replies to emails. But I think the longer you push at something that you feel that you have a little bit of faith in, it can work and I think you should just start. Yeah, I would say look for the windows when a door shuts on you. I think so many times we've been rejected or Mm. personally and together, I've been rejected from a million things. And obviously you don't always broadcast that, but I have. And every time I'm rejected, that's probably been, that's probably my strongest asset. I think it's probably my only asset that I then look for the window and try and push through that. And that every rejection, something else will open up and you've just got to exactly as Zara said, make it happen and try and even if you fail, you will learn one million lessons from failing that you can then use for the next project that you want to work on or the next window that you'll bust through. It sounds, and everybody tells you that failure is so great. And when you are failing at something, it's like, no, this is truly quite terrible. <laughs> um, and it's so easy to look at that in hindsight and say that. But all the things that people have said no to us about have led to far greater things in the long run. And I would tell anyone that that anytime someone tells you no means something, there's probably eventually something much better coming along. Yeah. That Oprah for you? You like yeah, that? Yeah, I love it. You can see me? I'm like, oh, yeah, she nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, well, thanks so much for coming in, guys. That was great. And thank you also just for the work that you're doing for young women. Oh, thank Aww. you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Cool. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast called Just Make the Thing with me, Claire Tonti, and with Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald from Shameless, the podcast. For more from those girls, you can head to iTunes or they're also over on Instagram and they have a Facebook group as well. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes below. For more from me, you can head to at Claire Tonti on Instagram. And I'd highly recommend going to planetbroadcasting.com to check out more of our podcasts, Australian made just like this one. I would recommend if you love Shameless, you should listen to The Millennial Divide. It's hosted by three sisters. It is a bit about pop culture. It's also about politics. It's what women are talking about too. And we also look at millennials really and the issues that we're facing currently in this generation. So I will put a link to them in the show notes too. You can email the show at justmakethethingpod at gmail.com. And if you have loved this show, we would love you to share it on Instagram or on uh, Twitter and rate, review and um, give us some words of uh, 
encouragement over there on iTunes. Okay, that's enough from me this week. A big thank you to Raw Collings for editing this episode as always. And uh, I will see you next Tuesday. In the meantime, if you've got an idea that you really want to do now, mate, now is the time. Go on, get out there and do it. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.